Good morning again. Would you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 92? If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are blue Bibles under the chairs in front of you. You can find Psalm 92 on page 426, 425. This morning we reach the end of our summer series on the book of Psalms. Next Sunday, as we kick off a new ministry season, we will have the privilege of hearing the first of three successive Sundays of Grace Stories. That's the name we give to these real-life stories given by real people who sit in the same rows as you do, who struggle with the same kinds of life issues that you do, and they are going to come up here and share a, a glimpse of how they have tasted the gospel uh, grace that God has provided to them. Uh, this morning, as we look at Psalm 92, I'm going to take a very different angle than normal. Usually we're immersed in the details of the verses and uh, trying to unpack the structure of a, a psalm in particular. Uh, but this morning I'm going to be asking questions about why this psalm is in our Bible to begin with, given its title that we'll look at in a few minutes. Um, you know, when you read a book, you're usually interested in the content or the storyline. But there are some contexts in which you pull back from what's in the book and talk about the book. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, a context like a book club or an English class, when you're examining the place of this book in the world of literature, when you're asking the questions as to why this has been on the New York Times bestseller list for so many weeks, what, what is it that captures people's imaginations? You might be talking about the book and its unique impact on your life. Those are the kinds of angles that we're going to take this morning as we look at Psalm 92, which is called A Song for the Sabbath, and we're going to ask, what role did that play in the lives of God's people, and what role does it need to continue to play in our lives today? Psalm 92, listen carefully. These are God's words. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord! How profound your thoughts! Jumping down to verse 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, speak this old word in a fresh way to us by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we need to pay some attention to is that Sabbath is rooted in grace. Psalm 92 has a title. A few times we've pointed out the superscription, as it's called, just above the first verse, and the title tells us that this is a song for the Sabbath. It's the only psalm out of 150 with that kind of label, and um, history tells us that this psalm was sung by the Levites at the temple for hundreds of years as an important part of the Sabbath day liturgy, the, the worship service. Sabbath 
sounds like an archaic word that most of us would have a hard time really defining. Or it's a word that applies to our Jewish neighbors who practice Sabbath observance, who um, are restricted from doing certain things. Those are the senses, if we have any sense of that word in our lives today. But for the people of God, Sabbath pointed to creation and Sabbath pointed to the grace of salvation. It was not an afterthought, never has been, nor should it be an afterthought for us today. The Hebrew word Shabbat comes from the word that simply means to cease. And in the very first chapters of the Bible, God established the pattern of six days of work followed by the seventh day of ceasing from work or rest as it's translated. When you turn to the next book of the Bible, Exodus, the Israelites had been enslaved to, Israel, uh, to Egypt for over 400 years. And after they're miraculously delivered through the plagues, the Passover, and the parting of the Red Sea, God brings them to Mount Sinai in the desert where he gives them his law, in particular, the Ten Commandments. And when we, when we use that word law or commandment, or when we hear the phrase, thou shalt not, it evokes in us a sense of a, an angry deity warning us ahead of time, don't you dare even think about coming close to this kind of sin. But we have to take the context into account and it's so critical in understanding the giving of the law, the, the, the providing of the Ten Commandments out Mount Sinai. Sabbath is rooted in grace. The Israelites only knew slavery. That, that's what generation upon generation had only experienced with no education, with no hope, no thought about a future, certainly no freedom or opportunity or time to engage in worship of the one true God. And so can you imagine the the people receiving this incomprehensible gift of the fourth commandment. Can you imagine tears of gratitude? Maybe an impromptu freedom dance that some engaged in, a jig to celebrate. That commandment went like this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Slaves hearing this for the first time, grace. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Incomprehensible gift, this fourth commandment. Years later, as Israel was preparing to enter the promised land, Moses repeated God's word for the second time, Deuteronomy. That's what the word means. And he gives an additional reason for obeying this fourth commandment. He says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Reason number one, Exodus 20, for you to Shabbat, because God did, so should you. Reason number two from Deuteronomy chapter 5, for you to Shabbat, because you're not slaves anymore. You're free. Slaves don't work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They, they, they receive this, um, free people receive this grace gift of ceasing from work one day in seven, resting, taking a day off. You'd think, um, uh, so, so, so what we're trying to say here is Sabbath is rooted in creation. 
and Sabbath flows out of the grace of salvation. Sabbath is, is rooted uh, not in a, a specific culture, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people today, observing these interesting um, patterns and behaviors that only apply to them. No, the, the fact that it happens at creation means that it, it, it was built into the design of humanity before there were any cultures, before there were any divergences of, of uh, practices and traditions and behaviors. And in addition to being rooted in creation, it's rooted in God's plan to extend mercy and grace to people who are enslaved to sin. You're no longer slaves, God would say. You're free. Free people act this way. This should be an easy commandment to follow. Thou shalt relax. I can do that, God. <laughs> Thou shalt chill out. Stop working. Take a day off. Cease. And by the way, it's not rest that's commanded because you're tired and you're weary and you, you need to recharge your batteries. Uh, if that were the case, we'd have to question God's perfections, His infinite character, His being that six days of creating the world, however long those six days were, got him so tired he had to take a day off. That's not God. He's infinite and, and eternal. He's perfect in every way. He ceased from his work because it was good. And perhaps, looking ahead, because he desired to establish the pattern for his people. Uh, resting, that, that's why the, the Scripture actually uses the word uh, that has meaning relative to the activity and the work itself not just rest. It's ceasing from work is the phrase that gets translated rest. Um, not only is this a difficult commandment for us to follow, it's virtually ignored. And even on a Labor Day holiday weekend with, for most of us, an extra day off, the weekend can easily lack any ceasing whatsoever. We need to be confronted with this reality. There can be no true, heartfelt, exclusive, unrestrained worship of the one true God without ceasing. Worship requires ceasing, shabbating, remembering the Sabbath by keeping it holy. That's where we go secondly. Um, author Lauren Winner, as an adult, converted from Orthodox Judaism to Christianity. And she wrote um, several books, one of which is called Mudhouse Sabbath. And in that work, she shared this thought. There's something in the Jewish Sabbath that is absent from most Christian Sundays, a true cessation from the rhythms of work and world, a time wholly set apart, and perhaps above all, a sense that the point of Shabbat, the orientation of Shabbat, is toward God. By the way, another out-of-the-ordinary thing I'm, I'm doing this morning is I'm going to share uh, about five fairly meaty quotes from different authors and thinkers. And as I thought about why my notes ended up having so much last night, I, I had this thought. I think it's because my sense is that we have so little of a foundation to grow in understanding and applying this biblical concept of Sabbath that we need, I think we need these various thinkers and um, authors to stimulate our thinking, to, to, to hit us from different angles. I, I'm going to do that this morning. Um, in his commentary on this Psalm, 92, Derek Kidner writes that the Sabbath was a test of faith and loyalty against the pull of self-interest. 
he quotes the prophet Amos. When will the, um, speaking of all these Israelites saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? Kidner's saying that the, the Sabbath reminded the worshiper that flourishing means being planted in the house of the Lord, being in his presence, verse 12 into verse 13 of our psalm. As opposed to the senseless and foolish man, verse 6 of Psalm 92, who's like the three-year-old in timeout in the corner of the room, counting down the seconds until he can pop back up and resume playing. Because the ceasing from play is such a bummer. It's miserable. And um, Kidner's pointing out with Psalm 92 that the foolish and senseless man is simply waiting for the Sabbath to be over, this miserable, I can't work, I can't produce, I can't make money, period, and then they can resume life. It's the opposite of what the Scriptures describe. Uh, Eugene Peterson was an author, a uh, pastor for decades, and uh, in his retirement, it continues to write books. He says, Sabbath-keeping often feels like an interruption, an interference with our routines. It challenges assumptions we gradually build up that our daily work is indispensable in making the world go. Sabbath, ceasing, challenges assumptions that activity and productivity more work to earn better salary, to pay for better vacations, to escape from all of my work, that endless cycle, Sabbath challenges assumptions that flourishing happens as we do more. More resume building. More unique experiences for our children. More conquering of hobbies. More checking off boxes on the bucket list. Whatever it may be, Sabbath challenges all those assumptions especially in our own minds, when we begin to think that our activity, our accomplishments, our doing are indispensable to be anyone and to do anything. Sabbath is not merely avoiding your work email on the weekends and not driving to the office to take care of a few things on a Sunday. It, it probably can and should start with those kinds of thinking, but there's so much more. there's so much richer of of a dynamic going on underneath the surface. Marva Dawn makes this observation. Merely to run from work, productivity, tension, striving to be in control, the hassles of buying and selling, and the prevailing cultural values doesn't work because one must come back to them again. Celebrating the Sabbath is different from running away. We do not merely leave these dimensions. We actually cease letting them have a hold on our lives. If we don't observe it, Sunday just leads us back into the humdrum of the regular work week, which leaves a great number of people awfully depressed on Sunday evenings. Keeping the uh, Sabbath ushers us into the recognition that all days derive their meaning from the Sabbath. I I need to hear that as much as I think any of us in this room need to hear this. And, And I had this thought as I chewed on that quote. I wonder if some of what she says could easily apply by analogy to vacations. We we tend to think of vacations as um, running away from work, right? Escape. Desperately need this week off, this week away, the the, the need to hype up the sense of adventure and excitement um, is directly tied to the misery and drudgery of work. But what happens on Monday morning after vacation? Are you any better off? 
Perhaps you're more miserable and bitter because vacation is now over. Rather, perhaps a, 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 a biblical doctrine of vacation, if there was one. This certainly is a biblical doctrine of, of Sabbath, ceasing, resting, that, that, it, that helps us. But if there were a biblical doctrine of vacation, it would not be escaping work, you know, putting aside the drudgery. It would perhaps look um, be more along the lines of realigning our lives, better understanding the balance of, of, of my purpose in my home, my purpose in my workplace, my purpose in my community, and then being better equipped to enter back into that realm, whatever it may be, work, volunteerism, service, with a greater sense of what God wants me to do, a greater sense of what God is doing and my calling to simply participate in that. Marva Dawn also uh, points out what I think is the, um, one of the best diagnostic questions we could ask ourselves, especially if you, keep to a, if you happen to have a more traditional Monday through Friday work schedule. Is Sunday night a stressful, anxious, mentally distracted time? Do your friends, family members notice that you start to get miserable early? <laughs> it doesn't take until 6 a.m. on Monday. You start getting miserable Sunday afternoon, irritable, defensive, snippy, not as engaged, um, needing to escape one last time before having to go back to work on Monday morning. If so, a likely factor in the explanation is that you probably never ceased. You never Shabbated. You never withdrew one day a week. You didn't remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Biblically speaking, to make something holy um, simply means to set it apart, to treat it as something special, distinct. One day is different from the other six. We, we tend to have a five and two arrangement. God said six and one, okay? Not to say that you need to work six days a week. But that one day is to be distinct from every other day. That's what it means to make it holy. It requires intentionality and planning and some parameters um, throughout your week. When there is no Sabbath, no ceasing, no resting, one day runs into the next, even if the productivity and activity are different, Monday through Friday versus Saturday versus Sunday. Even if you're not in the office or in the hospital or in the courtroom or outside um, working the field any longer and you're busy doing other things, whether it's physical or mental. Author Judith Shulovitz is a Jewish woman who's written a couple of really um, insightful articles some published in the New York Times. Those are the ones I caught. And this was back in 2003. The Lonely Days Were Sundays is the title of a book about growing up Jewish and the church going south. The Lonely Day Sunday has been replaced by the overscheduled Sunday. Soccer Sunday, Little League Sunday, Yoga Class Sunday, Catch Up Around the House Sunday. Americans still go to church, of course, but only in between chores, sporting events, and shopping expeditions. You can now find ATM machines inside megachurches. Congregants don't have to waste a minute between services and the mall. Praise God for Paramus, Bergen County, Blue Laws, let me tell you, because we have no such temptation, or at least it's minimized, right, um, the, the, the errands we could possibly do on the way home from church. The eclipse of the Sabbath is just one small part of the larger erosion of social time. 
with its former generally agreed upon rhythms of work and rest. After hours has become a strictly personal concept since the 24-hour convenience store, gas station, pharmacy, supermarket, movie theater, diner, factory, and bar all allow us to workshop, dine, and be entertained at any time of day or night. Shilovitz back in 2003 had no clue what the invention of a little device that could fit into your pocket and give you access to all your work email and the entire internet could possibly do to expand that kind of constant on never withdrawing lifestyle. <laughs> she thought the she thought the 7-Eleven was the extent of uh, you know 24-hour access back in 2003. Uh, and so did we all. We greet each shift of an activity from weekday to evening or weekend as proof of American cultural superiority. We knock over the barriers between us and the perpetual motion machine that is the marketplace with the glee you might expect of insomniacs who had been chained for too long to their beds or three-year-olds who had been put in timeout for more than they could tolerate and they jump up to resume life. That's the sense that we get when we treat something as archaic as the fourth commandment. I think we could better label it the lost commandment, the ignored and forgotten commandment, remembering the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. A, a law, a command by the Father that is rooted in grace because it is an incomprehensible gift to free us from acting like slaves, not to Egypt, but to productivity, to the boss, to status, to keeping up with the Joneses, whatever it may be. Our inability to cease, to enjoy moments of non-productivity, to be and not always to have to do, to once a week at least leave some tasks undone, some emails unread, some clutter uncleaned up, some hours unaccounted for. Our, Our inability to even tolerate that stuff, let alone find some enjoyment and delight in it has everything to do with worship. It has everything to do with worship. Sabbath was so essential to God's design for his people. It was such a fundamental grace gift, not an afterthought, but central to creation and central to salvation that to break the Sabbath had all kinds of serious consequences detailed several times in the Old Testament law. And on the other side of the coin, Sabbath breaking was always a core symptom when God's people turned away to worship other gods and demonstrated faithlessness and unfaithfulness. Sabbath breaking was always a symptom in the mix there. Why? Um, One help we might find is from a passage in Isaiah chapter 58. Let me read two verses. Uh, the Lord speaking through the prophet, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob." This is not a restriction on play and recreation as the Puritans taught and as some traditions today maintain. How can I say that uh, confidently? Because Isaiah 58 has nothing to do with play or recreation. Um, Isaiah 58 is critiquing, the Lord is critiquing the people of Israel for their facade of piety. They were fasting 
and making a show of it, fasting, self-denial, skipping meals in order to manipulate God. They were ruled by self-interest. What can I get out of this? And they saw God as a means to their end. Um, that was a feature of pagan religion and, and practices by, by the believers in these pagan gods. You push the right buttons, you jump through the right hoops, and you get the right results. And you learn that pagan god, he likes this, and that pagan god, she likes this. The Israelites, by manipulating God, by saying, look at us, skipping meals, not eating. Look how miserable I look. They, they were manipulating God um, all in the interests of furthering self's agenda. God was merely a tool to accomplish what they wanted. But the biblical practice of Sabbath does the exact opposite. It reminds us that humble submission to the true king, he's the one in charge, the sovereign one, self-interest needs to yield. It reminds us that humble submission to the true king and orienting our lives around the sovereignty of the creator and the mercy and grace of the savior are the way to accomplish or taste real flourishing and feasting. That's how Isaiah 58 ends. Then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast. God doesn't want less for us in giving us this commandment to cease, to stop, to rest. He wants more for us. It's rooted in grace. A couple of diagnostic questions. A couple more. Can you ignore your work email all weekend? Maybe a variation on that is, can, can you guard your mind against running through all the things that you need to do in the first three hours when you get into the office on Monday morning? That difficult conversation, that email you forgot to send on Friday, that, that project that is languishing and needs a little bit of extra attention and you need to bring in, can you guard your mind against running through that on a Sunday? If not, it might be a sign that career, status, accomplishment, wealth, if uh, your motive is furthering your um, earning potential, success, these are all possible idols, God substitutes to which you're looking for meaning and significance and fulfillment instead of God himself. Sabbath, which always requires intentional efforts to to establish some boundaries, ceasing, Sabbath is one critical antidote to that deadly worship disorder. To say, I am not defined by that. And I might not get that project done, but that's okay. That's not what I was put on this earth to accomplish. That's not who I am. And when I fail, I am no less who God has made me to be. Does worship need to fit into your recreation, your kids' sports schedules? your leisure plans. Sabbath reminds us that the sum of all of our activities and accomplishments cannot begin to access what is already ours by faith in Jesus Christ. We can't earn our way to more. We can't deserve more blessing from God. Everything that our hearts could possibly long for has been provided as a grace gift through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Can you sit still for more than a few minutes? Does the, the idea of 
unproductive time drive you crazy? Are you compelled to do something, build something, um, not waste a moment, ensure that your day is productive? Sabbath reminds you that your significant comes, significance comes from not who you are and what you've done, but whose you are and what Christ has done. These aren't rules and regulations to restrict life. I, th- I think the, the biggest mistake I could possibly make is if I got up here and, and preached on Sabbath and the fourth commandment and, and gave out a list of do's and don'ts. That would simply reinforce the restrictive idea that we tend to develop when we think of Sabbath and um, the fourth commandment. Derek Kidner, that commentator, adds this, the song for the Sabbath is proof enough if such were needed. The Old Testament Sabbath was a day not only for rest, but for corporate worship and intended to be a delight rather than a burden. Whenever the sense of I'm supposed to enters into the conversation about Sabbath and and, um, keeping the day holy, we've lost something foundational. We've corrupted and twisted something that God intends and made it into um, uh, something else. Our, our psalm um, says, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name. There, there's this free will delight. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord, verse 4. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. This is a song of praise, not a funeral dirge. It's not a lament. It doesn't fall into that category that many psalms do. And, and, and that reminds us of the grace of salvation that God gave to a bunch of slaves. This incomprehensible gift. A song for the Sabbath leads us to give thanks and celebrate that rest for the people of God has been made possible through the finished work of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Sabbath is a resting in the grace of God, not in the efforts of self. Sabbath is a trusting in the name of Jesus, not a striving to make a name for ourselves. Sabbath is a resting in the freedom that God's mercy has provided to sinners instead of being enslaved to the patterns of false gods and idols that can never satisfy. Sabbath reminds me, I am not and I cannot what Jesus is and Jesus has done. Hebrews 4 says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's just as true today. It's a pointer ahead to the day when God will have completed the renewal of all things, where and when we will enjoy praise and play and even work that absolutely fulfills God's perfect purpose for His people. Let's pray toward that end. Lord, I confess for myself, I think I confess for many of us that we're, we're a people that too easily have drunk the Kool-Aid of northern New Jersey and metro New York that leads us to think that we are what we have done lately, that we are the sum of our accomplishments, our education, our status, our long list of hobbies and vacations and, and filled calendar slots. Lord, all of that is in vain if we do not recognize and orient our lives around the truth 
that Jesus has done it all. That our hearts are designed to yield in submission to you, the one true king, to embrace everything that you are and you have and that you offer to us through faith in Jesus. Teach us to cease. Teach us what Sabbath is all about. Remind us, Lord, of this grace gift given to us who are so prone to act like slaves when we simply will not and cannot find the time to cease and rest. Lord, cause us to rest in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.